Bible today, let's open up to, um, actually, you know what, let me change it a little bit. Go to the Gospel of John. Before we get into our study, I want to go over a couple of scriptures. In John chapter 1, you know, when you come to Calvary Chapel Almani, I know most of you here, you've been coming, and so you kind of know the routine. But um, what we do is we teach through the Bible, you know. So if it were up to me, I'd probably say a lot of different things. You know, this is a concern of mine. Hey, I think I should mention that. But Pastor Chuck taught us to just teach through the Bible, and so we're bound by the Bible. So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 11, Okay. But before we go there, um, you know, the, the thing behind the whole heart, I think, is that we want to give you the truth in the land of lies. I don't want to give you speculation. I don't want to give you opinion. I don't want to give you sensationalism. I do want to give you the truth. Now, recently it came out, the Pope came out and said that, uh, um, that we're all children of God. I don't know if you guys heard him say that. I think it was actually a... Uh, statement he said a while back and it just now it's on this movie or something but I want you guys to read what the Bible says in John chapter 1 look what it says right here in verse 12 it says but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name and so when you hear someone say well we're all children of God um the Bible says that those who believe in his name, as many as believed as received Jesus Christ, they're the children of God. You know, Jesus died on a cross for us. He rose again. He paid our, 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 our payment. He suffered, man. And, and so, you know, for us, um, why did he do that? He did it, like it says in John 14, 6, to provide a way to heaven. And so we're all doomed. We're all headed for hell in a handbasket, like Henry said. We're on that slope without hope unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. And so when you hear statements like that, because of the Pope, he's so famous and whatever, he's an organizational leader, some people might believe him. But you test everything you hear by the word of God. And right here it says that Jesus, it says in verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That was talking about the Jews back in that day. They were not open to him at that point. But it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so I, I want you guys to, to understand that. And then I want you to turn to one more passage before we go to Revelation 11. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So the unrighteous, they're not going to go to heaven? He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so he gives a, a list here of people who are engaged in this act activity in an unrepentant fashion. 
You know, they do these things. Uh, they're not sorry about it. They do these things, and, uh, and I always say it this way, persistent, consistent, resistant sin. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Bible says you might say you believe in, in Jesus, but if you're living this life and it's, just, it's your ID, that's your ID, then you won't go to heaven. Because you can tell whether or not a person really believes in Jesus by the way they behave. It's been said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. And sometimes you got people, and they're going to church, and they're still in sexual sin. And then, again, the Pope said, you know, well, it's okay for homosexual people to, you know, he was stamp putting his stamp of approval on them, have the civil unions, whatever, get married, all that kind of stuff. When in all reality, if he really loved them, if he really loved the people, then you would tell them the truth. I'm sorry, but this, according to the Bible, will keep you out of heaven. And that's the only reason I say that. Because it says no homosexual, no, no sexually immoral, no covetous person. None will enter the kingdom of God. And so you may have heard what the Pope said. But understand, you test everything anyone says, including me. You have to test it by what God says in his word. And so why would the Pope say something like that? And the answer is because we're in the we're in the we're in the end days, and the Bible talks about the church apostatizing. The Bible talks about how in one eventually there'll be a one world religion, you know, Muslims, Jews, Christians, everybody. They're all going to kind of mesh together, um, and and the Bible talks about one world government, all those types of things. And so we see, uh, and there's more to it. But I, I just felt, man, I got to tell you guys this, you know, primarily because. Um, I want you to know that this is the final word. And so we love everyone, you guys. We don't bash anyone. We don't beat them down. I mean, you know, we don't uh, isolate them. But because the culture is going in this direction, uh, I wouldn't be surprised one day if you heard that in the Calvary Chapel. So, you know, Calvary Chapels are you know, normally teaching the word, but because a lot of times people just cave into the culture. So for us, it's the word of God, okay? Revelation chapter 11 today. As we continue our journey through the Bible. We're kind of halfway through the book of Revelation, and we're halfway through the tribulation period as well. And notice what we read here in Revelation chapter 11. It says, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, most of you here, you've been kind of tracking with us through the book of Revelation, but just in case you're here for the first time, uh, we're going through this book that talks about the future. It actually talks about what's going to happen in the future. And what happened in John cha Revelation chapter 4 is John the Beloved was kind of taken up and allowed to see the future. And as John is there, the Lord is giving to him a message about the future to give to us. And so there's John in the future, and this angel, he gives him a, a, a reed, like a measuring rod, 
And so in those days, it would be like a 10-foot piece of bamboo. They didn't have the, the measuring tapes that we have nowadays, and this is how they would measure things. And so he was given that reed, and the angel said, Rise up and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And so um, why would God tell us this? Um, why would God ask John to measure it? For, for two reasons. Number one, whenever God measures anything in the Bible, it means he owns it. It means ownership. Imagine how weird it would be going to your next-door neighbor's house and start measuring their house. It would be kind of weird. Huh? You don't own it. You can't do that. You, own, you measure things in your own house, right? So number one is ownership. We see that in Ezekiel and Zechariah. But number two is just that it's real. It's real. It's a real temple. It's a real altar. These are like real people that are going to be gathered together there one day. Now, for us, today, we know, well, but there's not a temple to measure. There isn't one today. There was one initially. Solomon built it, but then that got destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. And there was another temple, the second temple. Zerubbabel built it, um, but then that ended up getting destroyed more or less. I mean, it got modified eventually by Herod. And Herod in 20 BC, he, man, he made it beautiful. And so what we find is that today, however, in 70 AD, the Romans went, they Man, they thrashed that temple as well. So if you were to go to Jerusalem, and this is one of the reasons I encourage you, if you get an opportunity, go to Jerusalem. You can go to the Temple Mount. It's 35 acres right there. And you would see where the temple was at one time and how one day the temple will be rebuilt right there. And how do I know it will be rebuilt? Because we're reading it right here. Because Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. Because we read about it in the Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And so what we're finding is this right here is talking about the future temple. And God tells John to measure it because he owns it and to measure it because it's real. The interesting thing is verse 2, though. He says, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And so here's the thing, and this is why, I, if you can, and I know not everybody can afford it, but if you can, go to Israel, because when you go to Israel, you go up to the Temple Mount, you'll see uh, the Dome of the Rock. Now, that was a mosque built by Omar in the seven, late 7th century. And uh, the Dome of the Rock, the reason it's called the Dome of the Rock is because under that dome, there's a rock that they believe was where Abraham offered up Ishmael. That's what the Muslims believe. Now, we, we know according to Genesis 22 that it wasn't Ishmael. It was actually Abraham and Isaac. But they twist the scripture because it was in that place, Mount Moriah, that spot where in Genesis 22, where God uh, said, I will provide myself a sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it was there that God was going to offer up Isaac, which is a symbol of who? Jesus. How the Father would one day give his son for us. And it was there that Solomon built his temple, right there where the holiest place was, where they would go in once a year and they would offer the blood for the sacrifice and the forgiveness of the people. And then it was there that uh, Zerubbabel built the temple. And it was there that we see Herod's temple was. But here's the interesting thing about it. When God says measure the temple, he says, believe out the court of the Gentiles. 
And so what happened was this. As time has progressed, we have found, and there's a, a great uh, Hebrew doctor uh, named Asher Kaufman. I encourage you guys to look up his work. He's a Jewish archaeologist, a Jewish physicist. He studied this whole thing out for 16 years, and what he found was that that Dome of the Rock, that rock is not the actual holy place. That the holy place is actually north of that, and if you were to go to the Temple Mount, you could see it. It's called the Dome of the Spirits. It's a little north of that. And uh, the thing, interesting thing about the Temple Mount is there are only two places on the entire Temple Mount where the bedrock is exposed. One is the, 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 um, the Dome of the Rock, and the other is the, the Dome of the Spirits. And what Dr. Asher Kaufman discovered is that the actual place where the temple can be rebuilt is over here on the Dome of the Spirits. Because you guys know this. Huh? What would happen if we told the Muslims, hey, we're going to knock down the, the Dome of the Rock and we're going to build our temple? What would the Muslims do? They would, it would be World War III. They would not allow it. There's no way, there's no man who could ever pull such a thing off. But if the Antichrist came in and said, hey, well, we've discovered that's yours. You can have it. You think Muhammad ascended from there? That's fine. Third holiest place in Islam. But this is Jewish. We have discovered that this is the spot they can rebuild their temple. And what we find is that the Antichrist, it says that in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he will be the one to usher in that deal. And the Jews will be able to rebuild their temple not too far from the Dome of the Rock. And that's why when John is measuring it, it's interesting, the Lord says, but don't measure that. Why? Because it's so close. You know, when you were to, when we were to look at the, the temple of Herod, you would find that it has the most holy place, then a little bit outside of that, it has the holy place. Then it has what's called the court of the men for Jewish men. Then it has what's called the court of the women for Jewish women. But then it has, outside of that, what's called the court of the Gentiles. And you guys could all see these diagrams online. And when you study this and you measure it from the Dome of the Spirits to the Dome of the Rock, you would find that's exactly where the court of the Gentiles lie. And so what God is telling us here is this temple is going to be rebuilt. And when I look at this, I see the temple, this, that what's going on now, is a great sign for us to see that he's coming soon. Because all these discoveries, it's interesting. You go online and you study it out. There is a huge movement to rebuild the temple. Uh, I encourage you to go online and you can look at different uh, websites. Uh, templemount.org is one of them. Or jewishvoice.org. These are, t are, are websites you can go to and you can see that there is this movement. They have all, everything they need. They have the instruments. They have the garments. They're doing training. They even have the red heifer. And basically what we're seeing is God is saying that the, the time is soon. And so we read right here that it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And so what, what's that all about? I thought Jerusalem belonged to Israel. They regained it in 1967. And probably part of the deal, again, we're just trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and wonder how could this be possible. And there is another movement to make Jerusalem an international city. 
And so um, it all kind of seems to be lining up, you guys, that the temple, they're getting ready to rebuild it. The Bible says that that's a sign of the tribulation period. And so basically what we're seeing here is I think God is trying to tell us, because again, you go to Jerusalem, you go to the Temple Institute, you can see it all for yourself that the Lord is coming soon. And I just want to encourage you, what does that do to you? Like, if you see the signs, the temple as a sign, the rebuilding as a sign, what does that do to me? And it, it makes me want to be ready. You know, the Lord, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, he said, when he was talking about prophecy, he said, watch and be ready. He said, you don't want to be sleeping when the Lord comes. You don't want to be lazy when the Lord comes. You don't want to be distant when the Lord comes. You know, a lot of you guys here, uh, I was thinking about this. Man, what a, uh, an awesome church we have. And, you know, I got to be really careful as a pastor. I don't want to crack the whip and, and, you know, make everybody think that you have to do more. Because some of you are, are doing a lot. Some of you are praying, you're reading, you're serving, you're loving. You're being the best husband you can be, the best wife you can be, the best parent you can be, the best Christian you can be. And, and, and you know, I don't want to stand up here and say, well, do more. I don't want to do that. I will say this, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't think that it's in vain. I will say this, keep doing what you're doing. Because we're going to see it later. God's going to reward you. So those of you here who, who are church and you examine yourself and you're like, I think I'm, you know, none of us are perfect, but man, Lord, you know I'm seeking you. Because I don't know, sometimes I mean, the church, you know, people think, well, you got to do more and you got to get busier. Sometimes, believe it or not, you got to do less to be more effective. You got to prune for more fruit. Only God will show you that. But if you're here, man, and you're messing around, if you're here and you're playing games, if you're here and you're drinking, you're doing drugs, you're looking at porn, if you're here and you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, I'm telling you this, you better wake up because the temple is a sign. And we see it just about to be rebuilt. And God is just saying to us, I think, in this, that, that it's real, that he owns it, the things that are going on in Jerusalem, the discoveries of Dr. Osher, Kaufman, all of that is for us to know that he's coming soon. And I think we can look at so many other things, just Israel and Jerusalem itself, this pandemic, everything. And so let us examine our life. Lord, have I been living my life in the light of your imminent return? Which leads us to the second thing. After the temple, you have the two, the two witnesses. Notice what we read here in verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And so if I could say it this way, you guys, the temple is a sign to see, and the two witnesses are a sermon to hear. Why is God sending these two amazing witnesses? It's because he wants people to get saved. That's it. 
You know, during the tribulation period, we're going to see these guys, uh, God is going to send, and it's going to be an amazing ministry that they have. He says here in verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses. They're going to prophesy. They're going to be reaching. They're going to be preaching. They're going to be speaking God's word for three and a half years. They're not going to be on the cover of GQ. They're not going to be on TBN. Why? Because they're dressed in sackcloth. They don't have a $3,000 suit on. They don't have even, I mean, these guys are dressed in sackcloth. Why? Because they're mourning. They're mourning over the sins of the world. They're mourning over the way the world has rejected the one who made them. They're rejecting God's word. They're rejecting God's love, and they're mourning over it. And they might even be mourning over the condition of the church. I'll tell you this. As we've come to this place in the book of Revelation where we're talking about the future, uh, the the things that will be, remember chapters 2 and 3 when we talked about the things that are. Remember we talked about that because before we come here and talk about the future and all the prophecy, we have to ask ourselves, am I lukewarm? Those things that we read about in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you know, that they set us up with a condition of the church. And then we go into the remaining chapters. You know, these guys right here, they are the dynamic duo. Uh, they are two witnesses, and they are anointed big time. Notice again, it says there in verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible talks about how Jesus would call the guys to himself, and then he would send them out two by two. And that's what he does right here. But man, he gives these guys an anointing that you can't even begin to imagine. Imagine Billy Graham on spiritual steroids, so to speak. You know, imagine Chuck Smith anointed in such a powerful way that is Zechariah chapter 4, it talks about how what they did was they connected to the olive tree. And so in the Old Testament, the priest would have to go and get the olive oil and he would have to bring it to the lamp. He would do it twice a day to keep that lamp burning. But what we're talking about here is a connection. We're talking about here is these guys have this light, they have this oil, they have this spirit, they have this power, And it's a perpetual power. Why would God give us someone like that? Why did God give us Billy Graham? Why did God give us Chuck Smith? Why? It's because he loves the people. And he wants them to be saved. And so he anointed these guys. He anoints these guys. And they're not just any guys. We're going to look. And I believe with all my heart that the two men he sends back on that day are going to be Moses and Elijah. Because look at what we read about them. It says in verse 5, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so why would anyone want to harm them? Why would anyone want to harm them? 
because they're, they're offending them, huh? Because they're talking about sin. They're talking about hell. They're talking about the fact that you need to turn your life around. You need to repent. People don't like that message. They're talking about Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And then more than likely, they're preaching in Jerusalem. Uh, I bet you they're going to be broadcast all over the world. And who knows, maybe they'll travel different places, but they're going to die in Jerusalem. Here we're talking about the temple in Jerusalem. And more than likely, people are not going to want to hear their message. And so people are going to want to harm them. But it's interesting what it says right here is that if anyone does want to harm them, homeboys, they, they spew out fire from their mouth. Now, can you visualize that? Now, I don't know if that's literal, um, but I do know it's fatal. <laughs> and maybe there'll be fire, you know, coming out of their mouth. Uh, maybe when they speak, it'll be fire coming down from heaven. I have a hunch that's what it's going to be. I don't know. Or maybe it's invisible. I don't know. Where someone, you're trying to preach the gospel. They're just saying, hey, you know, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. He died on a cross for you. He made you in his image. He loves you, and he wants you to be with him forever in heaven and not forever separated from him in a place called hell. So you've got to go against the grain of who you are and just believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Please, I beg of you, believe on Jesus. You know, living that lifestyle, it'll, it'll, it'll damn you. You know, and so they're sharing that simple message, and people hate him for it. They hate them. They want to harm them. But what God does is not an offensive. It's a defensive. If anyone wants to harm them, then fire proceeds from their mouth, and they end up, you know, God ends up, in, in that sense, uh, protecting them, right? Uh, fire proceeds and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, they, they got to be killed in this manner because God just wants his word to go out, right? These guys, it says they have power to shut heaven. And so... When you read your Old Testament, no doubt about it, Elijah's coming back. And he's one of my favorite prophets in the Bible, man. This guy, he was dressed in uh, camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts. Imagine that. Lots of protein, right? And uh, I love it when he came onto the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. He just went in front of the king, the king, Ahab. And he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, it's not going to rain until I say. And then, boom, he leaves. And think about it. For three, three and a half years, it didn't rain. This guy was a guy, you read about him in 2 Kings when they came to get him. Uh, they said, hey, you know, the king wants you. And he just says, hey, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and devour you. That 50 got devoured. It happened again. Fire came down. He called fire down from heaven. 50 more got devoured. Who shut the heavens? It was Elijah. Who called fire down from heaven? It was Elijah. And the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that in the last days, Elijah would come. Even Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 11. And so we know for sure one is Elijah. So it's interesting, when you try to put the pieces of the puzzle together, we see the distinctive characteristics of Elijah. And so with that formula, now you look at the distinctive characteristics of the other witness, and who does it look like? It looks like Moses, right? Because Moses brought plagues to Egypt, right? Moses was an instrument that turned the water to what? To blood, right? 
And so what, what do we see the Lord doing? I believe with all my heart that he loves the world so much. He loves the Jews so much that in the last days, in this time, he's going to send to them Elijah, and he's going to send to them Moses. Not only that, you've got the 144,000 that are preaching. And so what's the Lord doing, you guys? I think he's just telling us how much he loves us. Moses makes perfect sense because what we find is that the Jews understood, they need to understand that he was the one that pointed to Jesus Christ. And notice what it says right there. It says that they get to do these things, strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so, you know, they got the green light. You know, it reminds me of when you're playing baseball and let's just say you get on base and uh, the coach gives you the green light. Basically, he says, if you want to steal, you can steal. It's totally up to you. You don't have to wait for a sign from your coach. I give you that freedom. We probably shouldn't be talking about baseball today, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> the green light, and that's what God does with these guys. Why? And I just got to keep telling you this over and over again. Because God loves you. God loves the world. You know, if you're here and you have not yet entered into a relationship with Christ, I pray that you would today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be a good person to earn it. None of us ever could. As many as received him, those are the ones he gave the right to become children of God. All you have to do is receive the gift of salvation. Have you done that? If you haven't, I pray that you would today. Notice what happens with these guys in verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And so when they finish, we're invincible until we finish. When we're doing the will of God, we're invincible until we finish. So when they finish, it says right here that the beast ascends. Now, this is the first time in the book of Revelation that the beast is mentioned. We're going to see him later throughout the book. This is in reference to the Antichrist. The beast is also uh, referred to in the book of Daniel. And so this beast ascends, he rises up, he makes war against these two prophets, overcomes them and kills them. And think about it, for the Jew, when they would die, they would bury their bodies right away. It was a shame not to bury the body. But here they got the bodies are sitting there for three and a half days. And they're in this city. And right here, the city is spiritually, it's called Sodom and Egypt. And this is Jerusalem. And so from a spiritual perspective, God sees it as Sodom and Egypt. And we know what went on in Sodom. And that's what's happening in the world that we live in today. God sees these things. Spiritually, that's how God sees them. And then it says in verse 9, then those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, they'll see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. 
and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another. Imagine that, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a voice loud from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And so what happens is they are allowed to be put to death by the Antichrist. They're there for three and a half days. But then after three and a half days, they, they rise. They, there's life again. They come back to, to life. And then, um, you know, they ascend into heaven. And so you might read that, and you're like, well, why, why did God allow them to die? Why did God allow the enemy to overcome them? And, and the answer is, is because God wanted to show an even greater work an even more important work. Like in our life, sometimes God allows things that we don't understand, that, that break our heart, that hurt so much. And you wonder, why would God allow me to go into this storm like this? Why would God send me into this storm? And the answer is because he wants to show you his glory. He wants to show you things that you would never see unless you went into that storm. And the people here, they would never really see God's power over death unless these guys died the way they did. And, you know, he wouldn't, God, you know, if God allowed them to be buried, it wouldn't be the same thing. I mean, this whole crazy thing, and then all of a sudden you see him rise from the dead. You see, they were protected. They were protected, and it is important for us to know that God protects us from death, but it is more important for us to know that God conquers death. You see? I mean, it is important for us to understand, you know, that you know God determines the day of the dead, but it's more important for us to know that God raises the dead. There is life after death. And in Jesus Christ, and that's the same thing we see with the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Why did Jesus allow his good friend to die? And the answer is, you read it there in John chapter 11, Jesus said, because I want to show them my glory. And after four days, Lazarus was risen from the dead. And so, you guys, you look at this and you see so many lessons. In verse 13, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. And in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. And I like this. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And that's what, you know, I mean, finally we see something in this story that's beginning to make a little bit of sense. Because, you know, most people, when we go through the tr this story so far, they haven't repented. They, they haven't changed. And I think I see that sometimes in the church. I even see it through this whole pandemic. It's like, wait a minute. You know, this thing that started in March, uh, what, what has it done to your life? What has it done to your heart? How have you drawn closer to God? How have you reached out to those who are lost? You know, it doesn't make any sense why people would go through such a tremendous trial or such a tremendous lesson and not grow stronger to God. 
it, it seems like so many are going the opposite direction. I understand it's a very difficult time, but for them to see all these things, you know, to me it's like, okay, there's a healthy fear now of the Lord, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. And that's where God wants us to be, you guys. The second woe is past, and the third, he says, is coming in verse 14. The first woe was Revelation 9, 12, uh, when the demons were released from the bottomless pit. And, and then the second woe um, is this incident. I mean, I don't know if, if you're ready for the rapture. You guys ready for the rapture? Have you ever been left behind on anything? Any of you guys ever missed an airplane? I'm just curious. We almost missed one, huh? When we went to, uh, we were traveling, we almost missed an airplane. They called us for the last time, corneas. We were running through the airport. A lot of people are going to miss the rapture. And it just breaks my heart. Because if you get left behind, it's going to be hell. Uh, there's a song by Lecrae. He said, uh, heaven is close. As far as I can tell, we just got to go through a little hell. And I think even for us as Christians, it's a little bit like that. Did you guys know for us as Christians that this is the closest to hell we'll ever be? For those who are not Christians, this is the closest to heaven they'll ever be. For the world, what's between now and, and, and this whole thing when Jesus comes and the millennial kingdom, it's hell. So these woes, they're heavy. You see, in this chapter, we learn from the temple. I believe that's a sign. We learn from the two. I believe there's a sermon. And then we learn from the trumpet, the seventh trumpet. And what that is is a signal. Look at verse 15. And then the, the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for how long? Forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, they fell on their faces and they worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power, I love this, and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and, notice this, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And so he went through the seven seals, and then the seven trumpets, and this is now the seventh trumpet, and basically what we're seeing is a transition of power. That they're, they're seeing it. They're sensing it. Jesus is, is kind of like cleaning house. Jesus is taking over. There's this transition of power now. And, and, and what ends up happening is they just praise God for it. The kingdoms of this world are being conquered by their rightful king who will reign forever. And so when they see this, the 24 there are the representatives, I believe, 12 of Israel, 12 of the church. Uh, what they do is they fall down and they worship in gratitude to the one who is and who was and who is to come. And by the way, just in case you're taking notes, that's Jesus according to Revelation 1 verse 8 and Revelation chapter 1 verse 11. 
And so um, they are so blessed because now Jesus is beginning to reign. You know, there is a, a time in the book of Revelation when they're asking, like, how long, Lord? How long? When are you going to do your thing? We know that you own this place. You bought it with your blood, but you're still allowing these counterfeits to, to rule. When are you going to take over? And now they're starting to see it. We're, we'll see it one day. Jesus, our king, he will reign. It's a time of judgment. It, it really is. I think we've seen that really clearly but I hope you also know it's a time of reward. And that's what we see here, right? He says that he will reward those people. Look again at, at verse 18, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. Now, you might be here, and you're not necessarily a prophet. Maybe you are, but you're a servant, huh? Some of you who are serving the Lord the way that you should. You've discovered your gifts and your callings, and you have invested them into the church where you have been called to bloom. You've been serving the church that you have been called to, this is your home. You've been serving. You know, the other day I was going through my books, and I, was, I came across a book by Pastor Raw, and it's called The Servant. And I didn't, I, I, I had forgotten that he signed it, you know? And whenever I think of my pastor, I always, like, I get so grateful for him. Because I know I know my salvation is of God. And God gets all the glory. But I thank God that he answered the call. Somewhere in his life, he heard a calling, and he answered it. I've always been grateful to God for that. But I was tripping out because the other day I looked in the book, and he signed it. And you know what he signed in the book? He said in the book, thank you for answering the call. He said that to, to me, and I was like, wow, Lord, I never knew that was here. And I was talking to the, uh, the guy the other day, and I told him the same thing, that God is calling you. Are you answering the call? Not everybody does. But one day God will reward the servants. God will reward the prophets. God will reward the saints. And some of you guys here, you know, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You know that, right? Or an ain't. You're one of the two. And God will reward you. And I, and I, and I look forward to that day. And, and, and I pray, like Second John 1.8, it says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Think about that day. When you stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, what kind of reward will you get? Will you get everything you were supposed to get because you were faithful and did it with right motives? Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus said, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. And so we are to be ready for this day. God is coming. Jesus is going to take over. In verse 19, And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. 
And so we started with the temple in the chapter, and we kind of end with the temple. But this is the temple in heaven. And a lot of people wonder, whatever happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I think it got taken to heaven, you know? And heaven, uh, what we see right here, the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of his presence. And I do look forward to going to heaven because I was thinking about, you know, my dad. And I was thinking, believe it or not, my brother Bob McCarter and just, you know, George and just different people. I was actually going through a list of all the different people that I can't wait to see in heaven going to be amazing but imagine we're going to be with God we're going to see Jesus and so heaven uh, it's the, it's the city that we that we really ultimately look to and that's kind of what this whole Jerusalem temple everything is all about you know in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 it says for he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And that's what Abraham did, and that's what we do as well. Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, talks about these people of faith who were assured of the promises, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And when we read stuff like this, when we read Revelation 11, and we read about the, the, the home that we have there, the new Jerusalem, it reminds us, you guys, because I think one of the, the strongest temptations for us, especially in the United States of America, is to just get so caught up in the things of the world. And the Bible talks about how the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, they choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. The Bible talks about how sometimes soldiers... They're not good soldiers. But when you're a good soldier, you don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life, that you may please him who enlisted you as a soldier. So draw close to God. Have this personal, beautiful, intimate relationship with him. If you're serving him faithfully, don't lose heart. Don't quit. God is going to reward you. Keep it up. And if you're not, you better start. We're going to deal with you, man. No, I'm joking. If you're not, um, I'll tell you what, serving the Lord is, is hard. It is. But it's the most wonderful thing in the world. You find out what your gifts and talents are, what your calling is, what your role and responsibility. And even you just being here, just, you just being here, believe it or not, is part of it. Because you get to talk to people and counsel with people and pray with people and encourage people. Stir one another up with love and good words. So I'll let you guys do that now. But I just pray uh, that we would have that heart for God and that we would know He's coming soon. You can't say I didn't want you.